This is a download from the Plain Dealer and Cleveland.com. I'm John Kroll, News Impact Editor of the Plain Dealer. Previously in Joanna, Facing Forward. Joanna Orozco, recovering after the deaths of both her parents, falls in love with young Juan Ruiz, but he returns to his troubled ways. She tries to break it off. Juan comes to her house demanding another chance. Some conversations in this series were reconstructed based on interviews. For notes explaining the sources for each installment, go to cleveland.com slash Joanna. Joanna, Facing Forward, by Plain Dealer reporter Rachel DeSell. Chapter 3, A Young Life is Shattered. Joanna closed her eyes, fearing for her family, her brother Kevin and her grandparents, sleeping just rooms away. Juan told her not to make a sound, or he would hurt them. Juan held a plastic-handled kitchen knife across his neck, then hers. Give me another chance, he begged. The blade, brushing just above her sternum, convinced her not to test him. Okay, Joanna promised, knowing it was what he wanted to hear. Joanna stayed still in her twin bed as Juan had sex with her. As he kissed her, she tried not to throw up. Afterward, he warned her not to tell. She didn't plan on it. But when Joanna went to school the next morning, she was meek and withdrawn. "'What's wrong?' her brother Kevin asked, as they headed to school in the used Dodge Durango she had recently learned to drive. "'Juan came over and held a knife to me and threatened to kill me,' Joanna said. She didn't mention the rest. At school, Joanna dumped the whole story on two close friends. They convinced her to tell— the girls went to their senior class advisor and told her about the rape. She took them to Principal Edward Muffet's office, and he called the police. Juan was arrested at White Castle, where he worked full-time at the drive through He had been expelled two months before for bringing a gun to school. Before that, he was a student council and drama club member set to graduate from high school. At Metro Health Medical Center in Emergency Bay Number 14, Joanna chewed at the sides of her fingernails as a nurse swabbed her for evidence of rape. She plucked a strand of shoulder-length hair from Joanna's head, combed her pubic hair for evidence, and scraped the underneath of her fingernails. As she was prodded, Joanna worried, not about herself, but about her grandfather, Wosbeli. Don't tell Abuelito, she said to Aunt Hilda, referring to her grandfather. He had a heart attack in 2006, and Joanna had overheard doctors saying stress could trigger another one. Hilda understood Joanna's fears, and she knew her father's reaction would be volatile. But he couldn't be kept in the dark. The rape had happened in his home. Hilda picked him up and decided to drive around while telling him. That way he couldn't go anywhere or do anything. But Joanna's grandfather took the news calmly. He said after losing his son he could bear anything. 
After the rape, Joanna's room, with its white-painted paneling and family pictures on the walls, didn't feel safe. She slept on the faded floral living room couch instead of her bed. A knife was tucked within reach. Juan was locked up four miles away in a building with concrete walls and bulky guards. That didn't stop him from finding Joanna. He reached out from a bank of payphones lining the walls of his unit in the Cuyahoga County Juvenile Detention Center. Juan called Joanna's home three times from lockup, the first on the evening of his arrest. Joanna picked up and heard his voice. She shrieked and threw the cordless phone down. Why can't he just leave me alone, she cried. He's done enough already. On February 20th, just four days after his arrest, Juan was on the street again. When Joanna went to give her statement to a sex crimes detective, she asked, Is he still in jail? Joanna had heard a rumor Juan was released. The detective called the juvenile court and confirmed it. It happens, he told Joanna, especially in cases of rape that are he said, she said. Joanna was terrified. The detective called and asked officers to patrol around her house more often. Court Magistrate Laura Williams had released Juan to house arrest. The county detention center was overcrowded, and after listening to the charges, she said he didn't pose a serious threat to the community. During the hearing, Williams noted that the victim, alleged victim, she corrected, was someone Juan considered a girlfriend. She was my girl, Juan retorted. Stay away from her, Williams shot back. I'll stay away from her, I promise, but, Juan said. You don't have to say anything else, Williams said, cutting him off. Juan was fitted with a plastic ankle bracelet to monitor him. It didn't keep him away from Joanna. In little slips of time between leaving his White Castle job and when his probation officer expected him to be home, Juan dogged her. Joanna knew he wouldn't leave her be, to protect herself, she retreated to the house Aunt Hilda had bought to sleep in a second-floor bedroom. Shadow, a stocky Labrador and pit bull mix, barked incessantly if a stranger stepped in the driveway. Less than a week after Juan was released, on February 24th, he banged on Hilda's side door. The dog barked. By the time Joanna answered, he was gone. Panicking, Joanna called her aunt who told her and a cousin to get in the car and go to their grandparents' house just a few miles away. As the girls sped down the street, they spotted Juan. His back was turned, and he was bent down like he was tying his shoe. When Joanna pulled into her grandparents' driveway, she noticed the rear driver's side tire on her car was flat. She called the police. Breathless, Joanna answered the dispatcher's questions in a little girl voice, do you see him around the perimeter of your home? the dispatcher asked. No, not, not yet. Hopefully no, Joanna said shakily. Two Cleveland police officers showed up at the house. They told Joanna and her family there was nothing they could do. They said nobody saw Juan slash the tire. They told her to call the detective investigating her rape. They left without making a report. 
The detective visited Juan at the White Castle a few days later with a warning. Don't go near her. Despite her fears, Joanna continued to go to high school during the day and cosmetology school at night. Her friends tried to cheer her up. Joanna planned for prom, buying a dress that matched her brown eyes. That special night wasn't going to work out the way she dreamed, but she wasn't going to give it up. On the morning of March 5th, Juan asked a judge to let him off his electronic monitoring so he could make a visit to a local college. The judge said no. Instead, Juan went with his father to enroll at an alternative high school where he could finish earning his credits to graduate. Around 4.30 p.m., Joanna pulled in her driveway and headed into her grandparents' house. She wanted to hop onto MySpace to chat with a friend before going to cosmetology school. She logged off the computer around 5.20 p.m., said goodbye to her grandmother, kissed her, and, as usual, let the side door bang on the way out. Joanna loaded her large duffel bag with all of her hairbrushes, sprays, and beauty textbooks into the back seat. Hopping in the front seat, she put the keys in the ignition. Something moved to her left outside the window. Joanna glanced over. It was a person. It was Juan, all in black. His eyes locked with hers. Juan lifted the sawed-off shotgun he had stowed in a pool cue case. Joanna blared the horn. Everything went white. Please return tomorrow for Joanna Facing Forward Chapter 4, A Puzzle with Many Pieces. And to read more about the Joanna Orozco story, including photos from the plane dealer's Gus Chan, Go to cleveland.com slash Joanna.